everybody welcome welcome to your rights at work chris garlock here once again with mr ed smith hey if you've got questions about your workplace rights the ones you have the ones you don't have the ones you wish you had now's the time give us a call 202-588-0893 joining us now is margaret poidach she's policy analyst at the economic policy institute they put out a report card of sorts late last month assessing the Biden administration's record for workers. Welcome back to your rights at work, Margaret. Thanks for having me, Chris and Ed. Always happy to be on. So I know your report on, on the Biden administration came out last month, a few weeks ago. It obviously didn't include the rail settlement because um, it didn't happen until like four o'clock this morning. Uh, but it seems that level of involvement, I, I think there were three cabinet secretaries involved. I think that one of the president's personal assistants uh, was, was maybe the chief of staff was involved. That seems consistent with what you found in your report, no? Yeah, um, I do want to be cautiously optimistic on this tentative agreement because <laughs> it is an, a tentative agreement. It hasn't been voted on. Um, but what it is clear is the Biden administration did play a key role in kind of uh, brokering this deal, um, which, yeah, just adds to the many actions he has done to help support working people and is a real contrast to what uh, presidents have done in recent history. Well, and, and let's be clear just on the real, and I, and I want to uh, uh, point out, Mark, it's absolutely right. It is a tentative agreement. It does have to be approved by the members, um, uh, and it, uh, they will, while they are reviewing it and voting on it, uh, they have agreed not to strike. So we're definitely no strike, at least for now. Uh, but let's be clear, uh, we have seen agreements, quite a few agreements uh, over the course of this year, go back to the membership and get voted down. I'm thinking of the auto workers voted down. Uh, some so my understanding is that they got a bunch of the things that they they wanted uh, the workers that is the question is whether they they got enough uh, Margaret talk a little bit I mean this was a bit of a political gamble for 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 Biden I mean this could have really gone south right yeah um, it, it could have but I think the the uh, what happened here is yeah shows his commitment to being one of the most pro-worker presidents in recent histories, um, I I think it's a good thing to kind of contrast it to like what happened with Reagan and the PACO workers. Um, you know, that was a scenario where Reagan was really trying to break the union versus uh, this is Biden and his administration. Like they they literally had uh, Secretary Walsh part of these conversations, who himself is one of the first um, union members to be Secretary of Labor in several decades, um, part of this conversation. So it's real commitment to making sure these workers are getting a fair deal um, and being supportive of them getting um, having their rights. Um, so, yeah, this one does do that. Well, and I have to think, and I jump in any time here, but I have to think, you know, Marty Walsh, look, Marty Walsh has been around a long time. He's been a, you know, a union leader. He's been a you know, political leader. 
you know, one of the things that happened last night, I'm sure, you, you know, you, you sit down with management, you sit down uh, with the union, and it's called jawboning, right? And you got to you got to get everybody to, you know, to give up a little bit, to make some compromises. Everybody's got their positions, and I'm thinking, you know, Marty Walsh was kind of born for for that job. I mean, he's got, you know, this one. And Ed, you've talked about this a lot. I mean, a good deal, is something where everybody is kind of happy and kind of kind of pissed off too, right? Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, so I've been involved in a lot of negotiations where you end up having to get to a mediator and some mediators are very aggressive. Of course, mediators have no authority to tell you to take a contract or not, but they can, some of them are very effective at their job and you feel pressured. I have never had the president of the United States call in the middle of negotiations. I've never <laughs> had the labor secretary that be there as part of mediation. That is a tremendous amount of pressure, not only on the union, but on the employer to do the right thing and to make sacrifices. When your president, whether you like him or not, says you got to do this for the for the country, that is that's mediation at its finest. Um, I would want to make one comment about Paco. Paco's leadership made very serious mistakes in, in negotiating with Reagan. And in fact, there was there was a contract to be had. And once once they kind of walked away from it, that's when Reagan, um, you know, threw down the hammer or threw down the, the gauntlet as much as possible. But there was an agreement to be had. And I think there was some irresponsibility uh, shown by that union, uh, whereas here uh, this union stood their ground, but also uh, knew when to make a deal. The other thing about um, uh, the tentative nature of it, you have the union fully supporting it. And you have the administration fully supporting it. So in my opinion, it looks probably pretty good that they're going to uh, ratify it. But again, you know, it is only tentative. Uh, Margaret, so given how incredible the work that I believe EPI does, I thought you would already have an addendum to your report done by this morning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> raising the bar and raising the bar. I was going to... Uh, I was going to set her up to asking her because the report, you know, is a, is a really good report. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about, That's, you know, some of the things yeah. that you did. I know, I know you were setting her up for that, Ed. But you, yeah, um, but you, you follow up. You come in. There you go. You be so, the closer here. Margaret, talk a little bit about some of the things that you did find in that in that report card. Yeah. So just a little like context setting of where um, President Biden and Vice President Harris came into office or when um, they were at. The midst of the pandemic we are still in a pandemic but you know they, um they were at a point in the pandemic where we were starting to see a very slow recovery so that's one thing and then they also came into uh office where um president trump had rolled back a lot of workers rights significantly so there was a lot of stuff that they had to um, really bring up the standards and just kind of make whole again before we can uplift standards again so um yeah in the past 18 months, uh, President Biden uh, and his team and Congress have um, provided inadequate coronavirus uh, pandemic relief through the American Rescue Plan. They did some historic uh, legislation when it comes to uh, investments in infrastructure and climate change. Uh, they also had the significant task of freezing or halting or reversing these anti-worker rules that were put forward be, uh, by the Trump administration that pretty sure um, the Biden administration has pretty much uh, has either reversed or are setting, are setting forth new rules that will uh, raise workers' standards. 
Um, and then they also had the task of, you know, nominating some uh, key people to key positions, such as Secretary of Labor, the National Labor Relations Board, the Fed, uh, even had the opportunity with the Supreme Court. So um, there is a they had a big task when they came into office. And uh, our report, I believe, chronicles just the 50 or so actions related to workers in particular. And obviously there are tons more that are on different subjects that um, were not included, but there's a real, a lot has been done in the past, well, now it's 20 months uh, since the Biden administration came into office. Well, Margaret, you know, one of the things I remember in your report, I haven't read it since the last time you were on, but I remember one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I think Chris mentioned how interesting he thought it was, was regarding um, diversity and equity and, and racial uh, issues. And one of the things I believe Biden did is he um, uh, has now required, reversed um, Trump's ban on equity, diversity, and inclusion training. Can you talk a little bit about what, what impact that may have on the workforce? And, and well, number one, what is it? And what, what do you think maybe that impact will, will be? Yeah, so um, gonna hopefully not parse it down too much, but what happened was President Trump implemented an executive order that basically um, pre prevented the federal government from instituting any sort of a diversity, equity, inclusion trainings um, in the workplace. Uh, but President Biden reversed that and took a step forward and made sure that elements of diversity, equity, inclusion um, were included in all of the matters, both inside the federal workforce, but also intertwined in the policies that um, that they are promulgating and enforcing. Um, so really just to make sure that you know we have an equitable um, and inclusive policies that work for everyone. So that's kind of a little, I hope I'm not parsing it down too much, but that's kind of a little bit uh, overview of what they have done. Well, and that's appreciated. And, you know, what's scary about it is, is there's a number of states that are going the exact opposite direction. And for me, that's why it's so important that there's a, there's a guiding hand, a guiding principle at the federal level. Uh, uh, you know, I look at Florida, I mean, come on, you know, uh, if we're not going to be doing this, look what's going to happen to our country. Chris. Well, I, just to follow up on that, I just I think that one of the reasons that that's so important is because that's one of those sort of, you know, dog whistles that the, the Republicans and the right have been using is, is the, you know, attacks on diversity training, um, you know, as as a sort of a, a shield for doing a lot of other kinds of things. And so I think it would have been real easy for him to sort of just sort of let that go uh, rather than go. But Margaret, particularly because of, you know, Marty Walsh playing such a critical, critical Critical role, as we talked about earlier, in getting the sides to sit down and resolving this issue. I want you to just sort of spin out a little bit more of some of those uh, pro labor appointments that you get into uh, in your report, because you know, to Ed's point earlier, it really matters. It matters who's at the, who's heading up the Department of Labor. It matters who's at the National Labor Relations Board. And you 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 you, you pull out a couple of other key appointments that are pro labor. Could you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So. Um... The obvious is, yes, Marty Walsh, who um, is the head of uh, Department of Labor, but he also has a great deputy, Julie Sue, who comes from California Labor um, as well. And so it, we really have people who um, have experience in these issues, which is really great. When it comes to the National Labor Relations Board, we have Jenna Bruzo as general counsel, Dave Prouty um, and Gwen Wilcox as board members. And it's a real contrast to what Trump 
had an, on his board or he nominated on his board, which were these pro-corporate, anti-worker, employer-sided individuals. Here we have on the National Labor Relations Board with Abruzzo, Prouty, and Wilcox, we have employment or um, lawyers who have um, worker uh, helped with employee uh, labor relations or on the side of workers. We also, with Abruzzo, we have someone who has spent nearly like her entire career at the Na National Labor Relations Board. So she knows how it works. She knows what the purpose of uh, the board is. And she's really trying to help realign um, the board to be back to its original mission, which is to promote organizing um, and making sure workers have that right. So um, those are some of the obvious pro-worker ones. Uh, but we also have um, Justice Brown on the Supreme Court, who has a history of um, siding with workers. Um, I think the example we use in the report is that she actually struck down one of Trump's um, executive orders that would hinder federal workers from organizing. Um, and then we also touch upon the importance and the his historic importance of Dr. Cook um, on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors and how it's key uh, to have her, who uh, she is the first Black woman to be nominated on, or to be confirmed, maybe nominated too, on, um, on the Federal Reserve Board. And that really shows, um, you know, the Biden administration's commitment to making sure Black and Brown voices are heard in our economic policy decisions. Absolutely critical. In fact, all those other ones I knew about, but I did not know about Dr. Cook uh, and Dr. Jefferson and, and the fact uh, that Dr. Cook's appointment was the first time a black woman has sat on a board in 108 years. That That is, it's inspiring and it's appalling at the same time, Margaret. I, I actually, uh, and then, you know, because the Federal Reserve, that's where the money's at. <laughs> okay. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, so, so thank you for bringing uh, bringing that out, uh, Ed. You've got a final question for Margaret. Yeah, I want to make a quick comment. Um, so, the down and dirty of it is now the National Labor Relations Board, which I think many of our audience knows about it. But one of the big things that they're fighting now is with these these mandatory meetings that uh, managers and employers uh, have during organizing campaigns. So basically, they don't let the organizers in the in the in the plant or in the uh, facility, but they can say, Chris, Margaret, you're coming to a meeting right now with me. And there's gonna be a bunch of suits that tell you why the union stinks, why they're outsiders and you shouldn't join. And they might even have a whole plate of food for you or a whole table of food for you. And, and the general counsel is trying to say that that's an unfair labor practice. That is just this minor aspect of, well, not that minor, but an aspect of the change we can see. Um, can you think of some, you know, quick impacts that uh, maybe the average Joe wouldn't necessarily know that uh, the change is coming from from some of the uh, uh, aspects of your report? Related to the board or just in general? In general. In general. Yeah. I think um, one that has a larger impact that maybe not received a lot of attention was um, President Biden had an executive order that raised the minimum wage for federal contract workers to $15 an hour and indexing it for inflation. And I, I say that relates to all workers because, you know, we the federal federal government is kind of a model, or they try to be a model employer. But also, in theory, if, uh, if they have higher wages, in order for other companies to compete, they're also going to have to raise their wages in order to secure um, workers. So I think that is a significant 
change that happened under the Biden administration that has a larger impact, even though it does only directly impact um, uh, about, I think, 300,000 uh, federal workers. But I think that is something that is significant, but um, not well known about. Um, and then another thing that's coming up, I think there's a lot of federal labor standards that are being worked on being approved, such as uh, an update to the overtime threshold that is in the works um, that was updated in Obama, um, but then got upheld and then the Trump administration updated to a lower threshold. Um, the Biden administration is going to work towards lifting it up. So that's just the, that's just two. <laughs> um, so, but there so are, Chris, there, Chris is going to get mad at me because I'm going to throw in something. Why not OSHA? Because right now there was a temporary standard that didn't get uh, moved to a permanent standard. That to me is a, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with the report and I'm really impressed with Biden's labor record, but I'm not impressed here. Uh, like a larger uh, temporary standard for, for a larger workplace? Is that what you're referring no, to? No, no. So I think uh, our union has supported making the emergency uh, OSHA protections, especially as it related to the COVID issues. And the Biden administration has not agreed to make this a um, permanent change. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, I don't have a, a good comment on that. Apologies, Ed. No worries. Ed, 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 I, I do this. I do this periodically, this. and I he apologize. Does he does. And you're supposed to get stump, not stump other people. But um, Margaret, it's a great report. Sorry, Margaret. It's called President Biden's First 18 Months, um, and it's at uh, bpi.org, along with all the other wonderful reports. Margaret Poydock, thanks so much for being with us once again. We really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you both. All right. Margaret is a policy analyst at the Economic Policy Institute. I don't know if she's ever coming back now, Ed. <laughs> I, I know. Am I, I, think I'm, I think I'm in the penalty box. Are you throwing me in the penalty box? No, no, no. It's all good. Hey, you have been listening to Your Rights at Work, engineered today, as always, with a plum by Michael Nacella and Kalia Chapman. Thanks so much to them. Thanks to our guests. And as always, thanks to you all for listening. Take care, everybody. This is a public service announcement with guitar.